All right, so first and foremost, I thank the session of Northminster Presbyterian Church for being delusional, I mean, being uh, gracious in uh, providing me this opportunity to proclaim the Word among you. Uh, I have uh, told several people this morning that I am so happy I could spit. Uh, I'm going to try not to, uh, but this is a delightful opportunity, and I thank you for it. What is she doing? Oh, people looked. Well, what? Who does he think he is? Have you ever had you ask those questions? Maybe you have a family member, a coworker, you know, someone you've known for a long time. You've listened to them, you've worked with them, you may have even lived with them. You've learned to enjoy them and even trust them. And then they go and do something, or you learn something about them. And then now you don't know what to think. How could she do that? And what was he thinking? <sighs> Who is this person that I thought I knew? You know, the question, who then is this? That's a question I've been asking frequently nowadays about someone in my life. I've been asking that question about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Why? Well, I think the truth be told is, is that Jesus has been receiving an awful lot of publicity and interest of late. You don't have to look very far and you can see Jesus popping up almost everywhere. For example, Jesus is in the movies, The Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, and I haven't yet, but I'm going to, but I hope you take a moment to go see it because it's, it's all about the audacious claim that Jesus could actually save drug users and people with AIDS. Who heard of such a thing? They're going to hell, right? Well, uh, we also see Jesus in commercials. He's on TV. The, he gets us. You know, we saw those commercials mostly around Super Bowl time. What a great idea to show people that Jesus is not just tradition. Jesus is actually real, and He's compassionate, and He's kind. Well, except for the fact that the people that are paying for the commercials, you know, they've, they've kind of got an ulterior motive, and they want people to go to really conservative churches and hate people. Really? Jesus is also on the internet. Well, Jesus is all over the internet. I mean, you don't have to look very far, and you're going to see Jesus on the internet, but I'm thinking more specifically about the chosen. Now, for those of you who haven't seen The Chosen, I heartily recommend that because it gives us insight into the people that Jesus chose to be with Him, to learn from Him, to take the gospel out into the world. And you know what? They're not perfect. They are busted up all over the place. And in fact, this morning, we're going to talk about those busted-up people. But you know, 
The Chosen takes far too much literary license, and we know it didn't happen that way. Really? You were there? Jesus is also in the news, and oh, brother, that news is not good news if you'll allow the pun. Thank you. I, would, I didn't know how that one was going to go, but there's a couple of chortles, so fine. Fine. But seriously, I'm really quite distressed by what I'm seeing, this, this Jesus that I'm seeing in the news. I'm seeing Jesus… I'm seeing things like, Jesus hates fill-in-the-blank. Really? You're, uh, by the way, that really is not just rhetorical. It's referential. There is an answer. But I see Jesus hates fill-in-the-blank. I've seen Jesus carrying an assault rifle. An assault rifle. I dare anybody to stand before me and justify Jesus carrying an assault rifle. Go. I see Jesus in a church in Missouri where the pastor and a woman said, Jesus helped three toes regrow on my foot. If you haven't seen that, it's in the news this past week. I don't know. I haven't met her. I haven't seen the toes. I don't know what's going on. It's possible. But you know, the most distressing thing for me in the news is that I see Jesus being lifted up as the inspiration for a way of looking at the world that is more concerned with control than contrition, more concerned with retribution than reconciliation, more concerned about conformation to those who are in power than transformation by the one who is power. It's distressing. And I have to ask the question, who then is this? And you know, when I take a look at all of this, and I think about that question, and I see this publicity that Jesus is receiving, I see what essentially are about three basic answers to that question. Answer number one, who is this who is this one? Who is this man? Answer number one is, well, he's not what we expected. We had high hopes. We thought Jesus was going to be, and then fill in the blank, because that blank is the opposite of whatever it is that Jesus brought. Well, we expected him to be, you know, victorious, and we expected him to conquer our enemies, and we expected Him to help legislatures pass laws that would prevent all kinds of things. But He didn't do that for us, so I'm not too sure we like Him. In fact, I feel some contempt. I do. 
He's just not all there is. And so we have to step in and help him out. A second answer is, well, who is this one? Well, he's, he's all that I want. He, you know, he, he gave me a miracle. He regrew three toes. I don't need anything else. I, I've got a house that's warm and comfortable. I don't need anything else. Shoot, he gave me salvation. I'm not going to hell. I'm sure other people are, but I'm not worried about them because I got what I want. And so there's a sense of complacency, a smug self-confidence that I got everything I need out of Jesus. I got everything all I want out of Jesus. I don't need, I don't want anything else. There's a third answer. It's a little trickier. And the answer is, he's more than we imagined. Yikes. What if that's true? What if he really is more than we imagined? What if he showed up and it's like, dang, I thought that's what I wanted, but if that is what I can get, well, forget this, I want that. Make me great. Put me first. Make me a star. That's what I want. And when we consider Jesus as more than we imagined, then it becomes important for us to take control. We can't let him get too far ahead of us. And we have to take advantage of this. We have to leverage this. We have to capitalize on it. Because this is our key. This is our ticket. This is our way to get all and so much more. Wow. You know, when I see all of this and I think about it, that question just keeps coming to mind. Who then is this? And folks, this is not just my question. This question is important for all of us, especially now, because we are one week away from our annual celebration of the Christian tradition of Holy Week. And Holy Week is when we take weeks, maybe even months, of Jesus' ministry, compress them into a week, and then book in them on one end with His entry into Jerusalem, and on the other end, His exit from the tomb. And as we begin our journey to Jerusalem, it's important for us to ask, in light of all the publicity that Jesus is receiving, it's important for all of us to ask the question and wrestle with the answer, who then is this man? As we agonize, and I choose that word intentionally because that's actually the Greek word for wrestling, is to agonize. So as we agonize over that question and our answers, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark because in the Gospel of Mark, we see this question. 
after Jesus has calmed the sea. The disciples are looking at each other going, who then is this man? You thought that question was original to me. Nope, I borrowed that. But we also see in Mark other questions. People who have experienced His healing, who have seen His authority, who've experienced His being, and they're asking, what is this? We see Jesus encountering the religious tradition, and they're asking, how can you do this? By what authority? And we see the religious nationalists Those who are working so hard to overthrow Rome, those are working so hard to create a nation of God, coming to Jesus and saying, how is it possible that you can get away with this? But then they ask the corollary question, which is, how can we figure out how to murder him? And for those of you who are at least interested at all, When the Pharisees, when the Sadducees, the priests, when the scribes, when the religious institution gets together and decides that they have to destroy or kill Jesus, you need to know that the word there means murder with malice because Jesus poses to them something that they must control and they must get rid of Him. So, On that high note, why don't we turn to Mark and see what Mark has to say about this question and about these answers. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We will focus on verses 32 through 45. Mark 10, 32 through 45. So if you have your Bibles, there should be a Bible somewhere near in your vicinity. If you brought your own, yay! If it's on your phone, yay! For those of you who have it memorized, wow, good for you. I do not. Before we read, would you please join me in a time of prayer and let's dedicate our study of Scripture to the one who gave it to us. Holy and magnificent God, the one who by grace through faith in Jesus we may call Father, We thank you for this time to come together to worship, to fellowship, to learn, to mature, to grow, to be empowered, to be equipped. And now, Holy Spirit, you who inspired that word, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, will be the one that will open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to the truth, the truth that will set us free, not free to do and think or say whatever we want but free to be your hands, to be your heart, to be your feet, to be your compassion, to be the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father who reigns with the Son and the Spirit, three persons, one God, now and forever. Amen. I invite you to join with me now as we read Mark 10, verses 32 through 45. I'm reading from the New American Standard. I think some of you, the ESV is available to you. Some of you may have other translations or versions. But I'm reading from the New American Standard. Listen now to the Word of God. And they, we'll get back to that they part, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. 
and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what, he was going, what was going to happen to him. And he said, Behold, we, and we'll come back to that, are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and beat him, and murder him. And three days later, he will rise. Now, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him, saying to him, pause, please keep in mind what Jesus just said, will you? And now look what James and John, look at the insight that they have. Ready? So, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying to Jesus, teacher, really? I'm about to be handed over, betrayed, spit on, prosecuted, persecuted, beaten to, beat to within an inch of my life, and then murdered, and all you can muster up is teacher? Really? But that's what they said, teacher. And note what they say. We want you to do whatever we ask of you. It's not even a question. It's a command. Do for us. And Jesus said to them, all right, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, give it to us. I don't know how your Bibles read, but in the Greek, it's a command. And they say, give it to us. We want to sit in places of position and power in your glory. One of us wants to sit on your right hand, the other one wants to sit on your left hand, because if you're really getting up from the dead, well, that's bigger than our imagination, and we want some of that. But Jesus said to them, you do not know for what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Which, by the way, the cup represents God's wrath. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized, which, by the way, represents Jesus' death? And they said to him with all confidence, we are able. You betcha. And then Jesus said to them, the cup that I'm going to drink, you will drink. You will suffer. And the baptism, you also will be baptized. You will know death because of me. But to sit on my right or my left hand, that's not something that I can give. That is for those for whom it has been prepared, which is a roundabout way of saying, I don't get to decide. My Father gets to decide. Now, hearing this, the other ten began to feel indignant. This is a great word because in the Greek it means their nostrils began to flare. They, just, they got red. Veins started popping up all over the place. They became enraged that James and John should have the audacity, the gall, to go to Jesus and say, we want first and second place in your glory. Give it to us. 
And then Jesus, sensing this, called all of them to himself and said, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great must exercise, you know, whoever decides, who, I'm sorry, messed up. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And then verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. So, who then is this? Who then is this Jesus? Who's the Jesus that we see in this? Who's the Jesus that we see on TV, on the internet, in the movies, in the news? Who then is this with whom we must come to grips as we begin our journey once again to Jerusalem and celebrate His entry and celebrate His exit from the tomb? That question is here in Mark. And what we see are those three answers, those typical or those general answers. The first one is, He's less than we expected. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see all kinds of examples of that. We see people who go, man, that's not exactly what I was hoping for. The primary example, the religious institution. Folks, we don't have time to cover 200 years, although Mike's right, I could talk for two hours and then you guys would really be upset. But for 200 years leading up to Jesus, there was this tradition being created and taught and memorized and reinforced that the anointed of God, the Mashiach, the Messiah, was going to be a great, powerful, glorious warrior, military leader, political leader. God Himself would declare that the Messiah had arrived, and the Messiah would show all kinds of signs and wonders that He indeed was in favor with God. He would be called the Son of God, not because He's divine, but because God really liked Him. But Jesus didn't meet expectation. Oh, sure. He healed people. Oh, sure. He calmed a sea. Oh, sure. He cast out demons. Oh, sure. He spoke and taught with an authority that no one had ever seen before. Yeah, but he's from Nazareth. Yikes! That's a backwater hick town if I've ever seen one. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Look at him. He's hanging out with sinners. No righteous person hangs out with sinners. He even likes tax collectors. And at this time of year, that probably resonates a little bit. Jesus did all these things, but He didn't meet the expectation. 
You're not the Messiah that we wanted. You're not the Messiah that we were expected. And because you don't meet our expectations, we have nothing but contempt for you. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Oh, that's not true, though. Let me rephrase that. We choose not to believe that you are whatever you think you are. But we do have one plan for you, and that comes early. Right at the beginning of chapter 3, at the very beginning of chapter 3, we read that after Jesus heals in the synagogue in front of all, the, in front of the religious leaders, in front of the people who were attending the teaching in that day, right there, Jesus heals. And as soon as that healing is complete, we learn that some of those religious institutional folks leave and they enter into a conspiracy to murder him. Contempt, because he just wasn't what we expected. Who then is this man? In Mark, we see evidence that another answer to that is, well, he's all that we want. We, we, we just, I, just need this, I just need this demon cast out of me. Just do that. I just need to be healed from leprosy. Just do that. You know, we're, we're 5,000 plus people. We're hungry. We've been chasing after you through, you know, all this area because we kind of like your teaching. Give us something to eat, would you? Okay. All right. Demon-possessed, what's your name? Legion, as we are many. Then get out, all of you. What do you need? Well, you know, it'd be great if you could do something about my daughter because I think she's dead. All right. Why are you people thinking that she's dead? Would you just go, go, get out? Little girl, get up. Oh, and by the way, would you guys give her something to eat? Because she's bound to be hungry. But you know who the worst culprit of we have all we want? They're the disciples. The disciples, more than anybody else, showed complacency, a smug self-sufficiency. We've got Jesus. We don't need anything else. Look at him. He's on our side. He saved us from a raging sea. Woo! He sent us out, Look, and we can heal. We can cast out demons. We're cool. We don't need anything else. Now, you know, he said that he's going to have to be arrested and beaten, and then he's going to be murdered. You know, I'm not going to give any attention to that because I just want him to take care of me. It's all right there. I'm not making this up. And the disciples, when challenged with their own question, their own question, who then is this? In many cases, their answer was, he's all I want. And they were complacent. The third answer is really interesting. Because the third answer is, well, he's more than we imagined. <laughs> Everybody has to wrestle with that one. 
everybody. From the very beginning, listen, from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, he makes it very clear, I'm writing this so that you as the reader will know the truth. And the truth is that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. He makes that declaration clear from the very beginning, and the rest of that gospel is an account of how people encountered that reality and then were immediately put into a crisis. Wow! God, right here, God is not a temple, God is not a tradition, God is not a book, God is not oral law, God is not an interpretation, God is a person. What do we do with that? And time and time again throughout the Gospel of Mark, Mark makes it, makes it very clear that when, in, when people encounter Jesus, they're immediately thrown into a crisis. And the crisis is, He's more than I imagine. I have to do something with that. And there's really only two options. One, you believe. You believe. You trust. You don't know all the answers. You don't have all the facts, but you have evidence. You have solid, grounded evidence to, listen, listen, give up control, abandon control. I can't control this. This is God, and I am going to throw myself with full abandon wholeheartedly into trusting that this is who God is, and this is what God wants for me. And off we go into an experience of freedom, not bound by tradition, not bound by lost expectations, not bound by complacency, but freedom because knowing that you are in the grasp of the one who is in control. The other option is a lot uglier, and that is regardless you're going to keep control. I am going to take advantage of this God thing, and I'm going to get something out of it. And if I can't get something out of it, then I'm going to kill it because it's in my way. It's a liability. Look at your text. Remember, now they're on their way to Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end, if you will. Some are amazed that Jesus is going straight forward. He knows, folks, they know that Jesus is walking right into a buzzsaw. The religious nationalists, the religious institutionalists, that's where, that's their headquarters. It's in Jerusalem. He has been ticking them off for almost three years. They know that He's walking into a buzzsaw, and yet resolutely, He just says, let's go. Time to go. And that made them amazed. But it also scared the bejesus right out of them. No pun intended. Maybe the Jesus wasn't even in the first place. But knowing, at least resonating in the background, was the fact that he said, I'm going to be arrested and beaten and killed. That's scary. 
But you know what? It didn't stop John and James because they said, wow, this is more than we imagined. We're going to get something out of this. Jesus, give it to us. We're not even going to ask. We're not even going to request. We're commanding you, give it to us. And I cannot help but to think that Jesus smirked just a little and said, boys, do you really think that you're ready to suffer? Do you really think you're ready to die for me? Maybe you're not, but you will. But you know what? Here's what's really important. What's really important is that you need to understand that it's not about being first, it's not about being second, it's not about being in control. You can't control God. You can't control me. You can't stop what I'm going to do. You cannot stop what's going to happen to me. Because I told you, this is the third time I have told you that it must happen. It is the purpose of God. It is the will of God that all of humanity would be rescued, would be reconciled by the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of Man. That's me. It is inexorable. It's unstoppable. It is ineluctable. It's unavoidable. And it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But in the meantime, it's not about being first. It's about taking care of each other, being a servant. And this is how you know, because I'm not here to be served. I'm not here to be your military leader. I'm not here to be your political victor. I'm here to be your servant and to give all that I am so that you might enjoy being ransomed. It's about service. It's about giving up control. You know, you would think that that's pretty straightforward. You would think that we hear this, we read this in Mark, we hear it spoken, we hear it interpreted. It's like, you know what? That's it. No more contempt. No more, oh, Jesus, you didn't meet my expectations. No more complacency. Oh, Jesus, it, it, it's more than just what you give me. It's so much more. It's not just I need control because God is something that is beyond my imagination and I want that. It's just not that easy. And that's why we see all around us all of this stuff about Jesus that forces us to ask, who then is this man? I don't have any easy answers for you, but I do have some encouragement. And here's the encouragement. When we ponder that question, and well, we should, and when we're tempted to fall into one of those three answers, and we will because they're easy, this is the encouragement that Jesus gives to His disciples and the encouragement He gives to us. First of all, believe. Everything in the Gospel of Mark is challenging disciples and people who are healed and even those who hate Jesus. Everything that happens in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus' constant call, come believe. Come believe. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care if you even know anything about me. Come, believe, trust me. It's true. 
please, believe me. The second encouragement that Jesus gives to us is that watch, pay attention. There are so many forces out there that are going to distract you, that are going to try to take away from your wanting to believe or your ability to believe. It will dilute. It will distract. It will detract. Hold firm. Watch what's going on. Recognize these things and cling to the truth. Believe. The third thing is that Jesus says, pray. You want to know the best way to relinquish control? Pray. Why? Because in the very act of praying, you are essentially saying, I'm looking to someone other than me. Unless, of course, you follow some of those self-help people who say that the best way to pray is for you to look into a mirror, which is just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. How can that which needs to be saved save itself by praying to itself in a mirror? I don't know. Believe. Watch. Be attentive. And pray. And when you do these three things, Jesus won't miss expectations. Jesus will be all that you want and even more. And Jesus will be so much more than your imagination because He will succeed in doing what we cannot do for ourselves. Who then is this man? We need to be asking that question because there's a lot of people out there who have all kinds of answers. We, who are the body of Jesus, we who have professed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we have been entrusted with that truth. We have the privilege of sharing that truth. What answer will we give? I leave you with this. C.S. Lewis, very well-known English scholar. By the way, C.S., if you're at all interested, C.S. stands for Clive Staples. I want to meet his parents. C.S. Lewis did not believe in Jesus. He had no interest in Jesus other than trying to disprove that anything the Christian tradition had to say about Jesus, that was his goal. And in his pursuit, he came to not only know about Jesus, but to fall in love with Jesus and commit his life to Jesus. And in one of his books, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis asked the same question. Who then is this? And C.S. Lewis says, you know, we only have three answers. Either he is a liar on the level of the devil himself, which, by the way, is one of the charges that the Pharisees leveled, leveled against Jesus. They did. They called him possessed. So he's either a liar or he's a lunatic on the same level as a someone who thinks they're a hard-boiled egg. That's crazy. But you know what? Jesus' own family 
tried to take him into custody because they said, he's out of his mind. The third answer for C.S. Lewis is that, or he is Lord. Which is he? I suggest there's one more option. And that is that for some of us, Jesus is a liability. We can't handle it. We refuse to believe it. We will not commit. And we will do everything we can to show our contempt and our complacency and our ability to control the divine. As we continue our journey to Holy Week, as we approach the gates of Jerusalem, knowing that not far away is that tomb, is that cross, the question to us today is, who then is this man? Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, we delight in Your Word. It is, uh, this may sound a little too casual, but it's really cool when we take time to know it, to study it, to understand it. Lord God, we admit that oftentimes that question runs through our mind. Who, who are You? And how are You meeting our expectations? How are You giving us what we need? How can we get more out of You? Lord, in those moments, Will you please once again reintroduce yourself to us by the power of your presence, of your spirit. Remind us that you love us beyond our wildest imagination, that your compassion is unfathomable. And your greatest desire, your greatest desire is for us to trust in you completely, to be wary of the world around us that we might cling to you and to stay fully dependent upon you in prayer. And when we have all of these, Lord God, the answer will come to us readily. Who then is this? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Messiah. In your name we pray. Amen.